0: Welcome once again to The Outcast, the podcast for anyone who has ever felt like an outsider or an outcast. I'm Dee Daniels, your host, and last time on The Outcast, I welcomed my friend and psychotherapist Allison Sullivan, who is a leader in mental health care, not only mental health care, but integrative mental health care here in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And of course, you can find her at Allison's allisonsintegrativehealth.org. I know so many people who are fighting mental health issues alone. I feel like we all fight mental health issues. I feel like mental health is something that we all should keep a check on on a regular basis. But I know for so many people the battle is silent it's secretive it's something they feel shame around it's something they feel guilt about and a lot of times it's something they feel like they can't afford they can't talk to anyone else about it they certainly can't show their true colors around it especially at their job or maybe even in their intimate relationships maybe within their family structure no one supports them shame of having a mental health issue keeps far too many people from seeking treatment Focusing, concentrating, learning about your mental health is nothing to be ashamed of. And we should all ask for support in getting our mental health checkups. On the last episode, Allison and I sat down and talked about how mental health is changing, how we hope it will continue to change, and how it's affecting certain groups of people. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, I invite you to go back and listen to that as well. But today we continue that discussion with psychotherapist Allison Sullivan.
1: The Outcast Podcast is supported by Richmond to DC Most folks who work here love living here, and that makes a difference.
0: I know we could talk a, about a lot of different groups within within mental within mental health, and and I know we could break it down into gender and and female and male and uh, a race, and we could do a lot of different groups. I, I want to specifically talk for a few minutes about mental health care in the LGBTQ community. I I read some statistics that were just heartbreaking to me, and I want to read some of those and and get your current thoughts and future thoughts on on how this is going and and where this is going. The National Alliance on Mental Illness says LGBTQ youth are four times more likely to attempt suicide or self-harm. Transgender people tend to report higher instances of depression and anxiety. And a lot of recent surveys in the last month have shown that between one and two thirds of trans people consider suicide at some point in their lives. Those numbers are extremely astounding to me and breaks my heart in so many ways. And to add a little background to that, and I, would, I know you have so many thoughts on this, it was not that long ago that homosexuality was defined as a mental illness. So the relationship that LGBTQ, non-binary, non-identifying, the relationship that we have with the mental health profession is a relationship that was not a good one at all for a long time and I feel like is still changing and is still being repaired from all of that that happened. So no wonder these numbers are so heartbreaking and astounding. Yes. And
2: that's another barrier. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a very real thick layer that is a barrier to accessing mental health care. And I think I know for myself and my hope for the profession that I'm in is that we need to own our past. We need to claim our past in these discussions and utilize that to underscore how we continue to evolve as people and as a profession. And and we need to to claim that that's a a destructive, uh, uninformed part of our history that caused harm. That that's the first step because we can't open we can't expect that community to come to us
0: mm-hmm.
2: if we don't do that. And yeah. I would actually advocate that people don't come seek treatment from people who can't do that. Yeah. Because that's gonna impact treatment. So that so that's the first step, yes. And and the sad reality is that conversion therapy I, again, I may be wrong on this, but I think it is still not illegal in all 50 states, which is mind-numbing to me. And sickening. It's, it's just, disgusting. It really is. It's disgusting. So, And the fact that it was the early 70s that the APA's thinking started changing around homosexuality, that's when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So we're still dealing with the impact of that. In real time. And when people from the LGBTQ community call me or email me, they specifically ask Mm -hmm. more times than not, they will use terminology uh, specifically or related to, are you open to? And that really makes my chest hurt every time I hear that or read that. I understand that that community that that's a very real concern for that community, I'm invested in being a part of the solution for that because people need to feel safe in talking about these issues. And if you want to go back to the biopsychosocial spiritual lens for mental health, when your very identity is attacked by the larger culture, I I can't think of a bigger stressor. Mm Mm-hmm to have to cope with in your day-to-day life. Exactly. And it's vital for competent, healthy therapists to help solve that. It's vital.
0: I, I still find it disturbing, and I'm curious if you think, or it, I don't. I don't see how this could change. You have people in the mental health field in private practice they can say whatever they want regarding their treatment. They can they can say, no, I would rather not see you because you are gay. I would rather not see you because you are trans. I would rather not see you. I'm, that's not my specialty. I don't do that. It's not in my umbrella.
2: Yeah, and that's a really important piece. There's. I'm so glad you brought this up because, one, I think what sets – the various disciplines of psychotherapy apart from life coaching is a very important difference. And that is a licensing board and ethics. Mm -hmm. So whatever the particular discipline is, whether it's a clinical psychologist, a licensed professional counselor, a licensed clinical social worker, there is a licensing board and ethical guidelines that we practice under. And I have to believe that as a profession, That's the vast majority of clinicians. So choosing licensed professionals over life coaches, which has no licensing board, which has no ethical guidelines to govern the practice of life coaching, I think is a safer bet in general. Right. And I also think that, you know, part of the ethical guidelines of social work, clinical social work, is practicing within your competence. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have specific training, continuing education in how to appropriately help the LGBTQ community work through some of these issues, then I think it is an issue of competence that you need to say, I'm not competent You know, I don't have training. I don't even have basic continuing education to do that. Mm -hmm. I continue to take continuing education in this area in particular because the knowledge base is changing so quickly. Yes. And I'm learning new things every day. Right. I still will not market myself, nor do I see myself as a specialist in this area. Mm Mm-hmm. And I make that distinction very clearly with people. Yes, I welcome you. You are safe here. I have continuing education in this. This is not a specialty area. And I can help you find a clinician where this is a specialty area if that's what you think is a better fit for you. And that's the kind of dialogue I think in a very basic way can help solve this problem because it can help funnel people where they need to
0: go. I'm not sure when we – will we ever be at a place where there – when will you be an expert, a specialist in LGBTQ? You know, it's – we're – as a community, as an LGBTQ community, everyone is just starting to feel a little more comfortable to have conversations. So, of course, it's evolving. Of course, it's changing. Of course, you know, it's all of that. I'm not sure, you know, anyone can specialize in – and in, in helping from from that end of it, it's we're all learning. We all are learning, and there are various
2: levels of learning. Yes. So I think in a very basic way to be competent to help this community in a relevant way, you need to take some continuing education and understand proper terminology and common stressors for that community and... Um, common trauma experiences for that community because it's not a one size fits all solution yeah there are fellowships there are certification programs specific to treating the lgbtq community and I, i think that level of training then puts you um in another place specialty wise.
0: And and I think we have to we have to answer the fears of those in the LGBT community regarding mental health. It is a real fear the relationship has been not good. Conflicted at best. Conflicted, thank you, at best. I think we have to answer those fears and I think a lot of times the first you come in sometimes you come in with that I don't want to say chip on your shoulder because that sounds like I'm I'm saying it shouldn't be there. But you come in with a filter already. The healthy says, skepticism. Yes, yes, that says to this mental health professional that's standing in front of you, you come in thinking and, and maybe even saying, you don't think anything is wrong with me, right? Because if you think something is wrong with me just because of who I am, I don't want to be here or be seen by you or I don't... I think that's a real fear going in. It,
2: it absolutely is, and I think that's part of the ethical responsibility for the clinician to take, take the lead in that, in setting a safe place for that person from the get-go, saying, I want you to know, I understand, maybe not directly, but I understand that this profession – has a conflicted relationship mm-hmm. with members of your community. Yeah, I would like to hear how you think this is impacting your decision to seek help now and what you're concerned about in this
0: relationship so I know how to address those fears for you. I want to end with this. I read this article and I, it really put mental health care in perspective for me. Um, and it was just a little quote from Amy Morin, who's the author of 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. She said, the, the phrase mental illness tends to be used in a derogatory manner. He must be mentally ill. She has a mental illness. Sounds very negative. But we don't talk about physical health that same way. Same thing we were talking about at the beginning of the show, Allison. No one ever describes someone else by saying he's physically ill. So why would you describe someone as mentally ill? When it comes to physical health, we understand that health is a broad spectrum. Some people wear glasses, other people have bad knees, but we don't group everyone together and say they're physically ill. Are we going to eventually live in a place, and I'm not just saying somewhere in California, I'm saying right here in our hometowns, in every hometown, are we going to get to a place where getting regular mental health checkups is a thing? Are we going to be able to say, I don't just need help now, I, I get checkups regularly. I check in regular. this is a regular part of my healthcare.
2: If I have anything to say about it, we absolutely will. And I want to highlight this by saying congratulations to you on your recent award as our area's best radio personality. Thank you. That's sweet. Thank you. I think it is so well-deserved. Thank you. And I was so excited to hear that news. And as I was enjoying your success and reveling in that. I was looking through all the other winners and finding my favorite businesses around town and being excited about them and looking through the healthcare portion and I was astounded when I realized there was not a mental health category Mm -hmm. at all.
0: Yes. There's a lot of physical health. There's a lot of
2: physical health and a lot of physical specialties. Yes, And so... It, beginning to equate mental health care with basic health care can start in places like that where we allow mental health agencies, mental health clinicians, private practices to be a part of that because that doesn't threaten a client's confidentiality and it doesn't exploit their vulnerability because we're not asking, a, we're not, I'm not saying we should promote ourselves as individual clinicians. I'm saying we include mental health on the same par with these other physical specialties, so we can continue to destigmatize people's access to mental health care. The more we continue to do that, the more we continue to, you know, I've never had a toothache, hmm. said to someone, Ow, I have a toothache, and had them respond to me. Well, you better not tell anybody because you don't know what they're going to think of you. (laughs) Or, you know, you need to buck up and get over
0: it. Oh, God.
2: People say go to the dentist. Yes. That's my hope for mental health care, that that we can continue to have these conversations no matter how difficult they are. So when somebody says, you know what, my thinking is scaring me right now. Mm -hmm. I don't like where my thoughts are going and I feel really out of control that someone doesn't go well don't say that too loud you're going to get fired someone says oh you know what I totally get that I found this great therapist Yes, let me give you their number give them a call that's when we get there, we've gotten somewhere.
0: That's powerful stuff. You're so right. You don't have your friend saying, "My knee has been swollen for you know two weeks," and and you say, "Well, just deal with it. Just you right. know, it'll pass." Right. Have
2: you tried saying, "This is my favorite." You know the, the pat. Think positively. Mm. So if someone comes to you with a swollen knee and says, <laughs> "Oh, my knee's been swollen for two weeks," wealth. <laughs> Think positive think about it. Stop thinking so negatively about the swelling. That'll fix it. You it's know, ludicrous it, when you right. think about but it. But people say that all the time about yes. depression. Yes.
0: That all is, the time. That is a, such a powerful way, a powerful way to look at it. And and you're right. I, I noticed the same thing when the, uh, when the best of. Uh, awards came out and the categories came out. And I looked at the same thing. And I also noticed there is no mental health uh, category. Why aren't we celebrating accomplishments in that regard the same way? Why are we not? Why doesn't it roll off our tongue the same way of like, oh my gosh, this girl is the best doctor in town. And I went to see her, you know, for this, this and this. And now she's my regular doctor. Why aren't we having the same celebratory language and tone on the mental health side, and saying, "Oh my gosh!" I mean, I have it about you all the time, Allison. But but why, as a public, why are yes. we not saying, "Oh yes. my gosh!" Yes. You know, this girl is the best therapist I have been to, and I saw her. You know, I see her regularly. But I last month or last year or last whatever, I was really struggling. Boy, she really helped me out. The same celebratory conversation. Yes. That why aren't we evening? That would even the, the, the field out a bit. Yes, it sounds. And the, like.
2: and the reality
0: is, we have to also
2: understand that there still is sometimes um, a career cost, a social cost, um, a relational cost mm-hmm. in seeking mental health care. So that's another very real barrier to why. People don't celebrate it as openly. But the more that we talk about those costs and shift things to reduce and eliminate those very real costs, mm-hmm. then we're going to be able to celebrate it more and eventually get to a place where we're viewing mental health care as both preventative and Um, appropriate for when we have an acute injury. Yes. Or a chronic injury. Yes. All of that.
0: I mean, again, I, you know, I know we could talk about so many different groups. I'm I'm particularly at the moment thinking about one of your areas that I know that you deal with uh, a lot, PTSD, you know, people that are That maybe have harbored some things for a long time, a long time, and 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 it sits in a place and they haven't dealt with it. Things of that nature. That's that's a lot to deal with. That's a lot to deal with. So when something pops up, I mean, so important for us to be able to give people some resources. If we see a friend that has had something like that, so important for us to be able to say, I have a number. I have a website. I have a name let me help you research, let me, these are the things we can do in these conversations.
2: Yes, in the same way someone coming off a sports injury hears, don't do too much too fast, Mm -hmm. you know, or if you're looking for a good ortho, here's the place to go. People with PTSD need that same supportive community of, you know, easy does it. Yeah. No need to, to, to rush back into things. Take care of yourself. Here are some extra resources. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. But that's
2: not the conversation that we have. And, you know, we have a long way to go with that in particular because I still have clients on a regular basis who will not use insurance that they have because they're concerned.
0: About what that will look like for their job. Yes. Yes. And that breaks my heart.
2: Isn't that just a shame that we have to worry about that? It breaks my heart because then there's an additional financial stressor because, you know, in a perfect world, I'd be able to see an infinite amount of clients pro bono. Yeah. In the real world where I have rent and electric bills, I can't do that. You can't do that. Sure. So it, it breaks my heart because it's a trade off at that point for them. It's a trade-off of, do I seek the help that I know that I need and potentially create a, an additional financial stressor,
0: mm-hmm.
2: or do I just not get treatment?
0: That's uh, – that's, I mean, I know we have some of that that happens in health regular, uh, physical health care, but not nearly as much.
2: Not nearly as much, but the more that we talk about it – And the more that we communicate the science related to the treatments for these things, the more people will understand that these conditions are so treatable. Yes. So treatable and so manageable and it won't seem so scary anymore.
0: When you are given the opportunity to speak to someone inside your office, outside your office, doesn't matter, about going and getting regular health checkups with your mental health professional. and they say, well, I've just never done it and, and I'm scared, I, I could, I can. I do have the funds or I do have insurance and I, and I just don't, I haven't and yeah, I struggle, but I you know I, it changes and then I feel better the next day and then you know, I forget about it and I move on. When they're on that on that fence of saying, well, maybe I should, what do you say to them to encourage them? and all of us, to be able to, it's okay. Let's let's talk about this and treat this together. What's your encouraging word? Well, the, the
2: first thing I do is I validate that, you know, because that's real. Yeah. That's real, and that speaks to people not understanding the value. So I validate that. And then I encourage people to consider that, more tools in your toolbox i can't think of i can't think of a reason that would be a bad thing yeah because i know in any project i undertake i mean i can use a general tool you know my partner watches me do it all the time in the kitchen while he's shaking his head you know (laughs) why aren't you using the right knife for that i'm like well it's a knife whatever yeah You know, but we don't have to do that with our mental health. Yeah. We don't have to do that. We can get more specific tools. We can enlarge our toolbox. We can get more resources so that things are easier and things are clearer. And who doesn't want to do that when you think of it in those terms?
0: So true. That's so very true. I know so many people, Allison, who would love to come and sit down and chat with you and love to uh, take advantage of the things that you have going on. Um, I, I would love for you to tell everybody where they can find you. And and it's not just sit-down therapy. You have integrative mental health that's going on at your practice. And maybe just give everybody a little idea of what that means and what they can call for and and seek help for.
2: Absolutely. We are at Allison's Integrative Health Dot org, or people can just uh, simply Google my name, Allison Sullivan, and the website will come up. We have a massage therapist um, on site. We offer workshops and events centered around mindfulness, meditation, uh, yoga, nutrition. I'm super excited about a food mood group that we're we're doing in the fall and pretty much however people can consider improving their health if we don't do it in house I've got a resource to connect them to
0: powerful stuff I love that and you are you are a fantastic expert in this field And such a great friend, Allison. I'm so happy to have you here on the podcast. I know you have such a light for all of this and such a passion for all of this. And I'm so glad that you shared it with us. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. This is The Outcast. I stand with you and I stand for you. And I would love to hear from you anytime. You can email me, d at wbqb.com.
1: The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by the host and guests on this podcast are their own and not necessarily those of Centennial Broadcasting.